Hey, welcome to Knowles 24-7's On the Bench Podcast. This is Brendan Sinone, Chris Nee joining me today, and Josh Newberg. You're, you're somehow even further away than Chris was when he was doing the lunar landing a few months back. You're way the yeah, heck out there. I am out here. Um, upstate New York for Memorial Weekend. I'm in the Catskills and um, still ready to do this pod. Still, still here doing it. What a champ. What a champ, even while you're on vacation. Pods don't stop. <laughs> All right, we uh, we have a few things to go over. Uh, I guess we always have a few things to go over, right? That's why we're doing the podcast. But uh, one topical thing I'd like to get to uh, before we get to our normal recruiting talk and before we give Chris his uh, his few minutes on the you know the, the Olympic sports, or I guess baseball is not Olympic anymore, is it? They don't do that anymore yeah. for the Olympics. No. Well, before we before we get to all that, I want to talk a little bit about. Landon Dickerson, uh, that happened last week after we had recorded our pod. And initially guys, like, I didn't think it was really, I didn't think we had to stop and do like a, like a breaking podcast, like analysis type of deal, but man, like people keep talking about it on the message board and it keeps like, it's a discussion that's been driven and partially because we've written things on it, but even without us writing on it, it's something that's been driven the last few days. So Josh, I'm going to, I'm going to throw this to you, uh, and and we'll start off the podcast by talking about Landon Dickerson uh, entering the transfer portal uh, again, again. Yeah, yeah. I'll um just a brief recap for those that maybe tuned out in February, but um Landon Dickerson entered the transfer portal right after signing day in mid February, um less than a week after his name was in, he was out. Um, fans and insiders, I, I say insiders in quotes. Um, shook it off as nothing more than a bad relationship between Fry and Dickerson. Um, they welcomed him, you know, saying that it that they just chalked it up to to a bad relationship between his former O line coach, who was fired just prior to that, and um, it all looked good. He was there for spring. He didn't participate very much due to injury, but he was there. And then last week, Landon Dickerson. We found his name back in the portal, this time with a non-contact tag. Um, that's a little bit different than the first time. He put not no contact, which means he doesn't want anybody to contact him, likely because that means he knows where he's going. Right. Um, it, 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 but it also could mean that he's not ready to transfer yet because we know he has to graduate. And you, Brendan, told me that he graduates this summer, end of summer? I believe that he's supposed to be in line to graduate at the end of this summer. Correct. That's what so the, if he was a grad transfer with. and he knows he's not transferring till the end of summer, maybe that's why he put the non-contact tag, but I don't think so. I think it's because he kind of knows where he's going. Um, I've talked to a couple people, uh, that, that I've, that I've leaned on throughout Landon Dickerson's time at FSU. Um, you know, they were spot on. They reached out to me early in the season, right after Dickerson was injured saying, you know, Hey Josh, Landon's not going to return this year. He, it, it's bad. He probably won't play in another game. Of course, Dickerson did not play in any more games. Um, and right now those same sources are just kind of telling me that he's, he's keeping it all close to the vest. Um, it seems like there's two teams involved right now, Texas A&M and Alabama. I think initially a lot of people are shocked by those two names. Um, but they make, they kind of do make a good deal sense. Um, Texas A&M's where Jimbo Fisher's at. That's the man that recruited him to Florida state, built the relationship with the family. Um, he's Landon Dickerson committed to play in Jimbo's offense. 
and then Alabama. I mean, who wouldn't want to go to Alabama right now? So I can't really blame him there. Um, what are you hearing, Brendan? What's on your end? <laughs> well, I had heard similar things to you when, when Landon entered the transfer portal that he had already done some research. And I think we've all, and Chris did too, we've heard that he's already, now that was what the first portal, I guess, entrance was back in February and that he had kind of started doing some, some research in the programs he were looking, he was looking at were like power five, like bigger, bigger name programs. Ohio state was a name I heard, uh, but you checked that out and it got dismissed pretty quickly. I think they ended up adding some help on the offensive line for maybe the time he, he first started checking them out. Um, you know, right now Landon is not with the team. Uh, so I'm imagining he's, he's not, and that can be confirmed. He, he's not with the team. Uh, I can imagine that means that he's not expected to come back. That kind of fits in line with everything else that we've heard uh, with, with his name being in the portal with the non-contact uh, seems like he kind of has an idea of where he, he wants to go uh, at least has a few ideas, but I guess for me, as we try to kind of make sense of, of, okay, Landon Dickerson's names back in the transfer portal. Again, we're assuming now that he's not coming back. I think that's a fair assumption at this point. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. I Good. mean, my understanding is he's gone. Right. And that's same here. He's not with the team right now. He could always rejoin. Like he could always come back. But at this point you go in twice. I think we expect that he's, he's done. Um, yeah. Last in, in the first time around, there was rumors within the first 24 hours that Dickerson wasn't really in it. I mean, we confirmed that he was, and he was for several days. Um, so even from the very start of the first time he, he put his name in, there was kind of whispers that he might return. We're not hearing those this time around. Right. I, I think so. I think all three of us are on the same page. He's 99% gone. Uh, it's just it's a matter of where he ends up landing at this point. Why are we talking? Why are we spending five, 10 minutes on an offensive lineman entering the transfer portal again? Why is that leading the podcast? Well, one, because it's late May uh, and there's not a whole lot to talk about. But but two, guys, I think it's a really big deal. And, and I've kind of expressed that on the Twitter and on our message board and an and article I wrote. I think losing Landon Dickerson is significant. Now, the the pushback that I've largely gotten from readers has been one, he's he's hurt all the time, which is true. He's he's missed more games than he's played in throughout his career. Every single season has ended with a lower body injury. Like you can't legitimately count on him to play a full season. That, that's fine. I understand that. The other aspect is that he's soft. Is is what I'm hearing now. Mentally soft. He doesn't want to compete. He doesn't want to be at Florida State. He's a quitter. I, one, I don't know how you're going to call someone soft that's come back from multiple leg injuries to keep playing. Uh, I think that shows some sort of, of mental resiliency. And two, guys, he's given Florida State a fair shake. He's played for how many different offensive line coaches now? Three since he's arrived? How many different play callers? Four or five, if you include like Randy Sanders for a game? Uh, he's given this new staff a full year. If he doesn't think it's the best situation for him, I'm completely fine with it. But to dismiss that that losing Landon Dickerson doesn't hurt uh, because he's he's soft to me, I, I think is illogical. He's a competent offensive lineman when he plays on a unit that lacks depth, that lacks experience, that lacks guys who can play offensive tackle if needed at a at a respectable level, and just lacks overall talent and seasoning right now at this point. And so you lose a guy who could maybe even give you two or three games there. And you don't think that's significant. When, when I do my top 40 list, he was in the top 10 
and and I know like you guys looked at the list and agreed with it. Like he's someone who who was significant because of just how it, it may not be because of how good Landon is because of the injuries and, and that slowest development, but it's because to me how questionable the rest of the offensive line is. Like it's a significant loss. I don't I don't know how you can paint it any other way. Yeah, Landon Dickerson was a great if. If he is healthy, he can be a big contributor. Mm-hmm. If he's ready to play, he can be a guy that can sure up one of those five spots and certainly could sure up one of those tackle spots. The issue with losing him, and hey, he can pack his bags and go. It's clear as day he doesn't want to be here. You don't want a guy like that in the program if you're trying to change your program. I get that part of the argument. But the issue with him leaving is now you're down a body. If you're down a body at a crucial position at offensive tackle, with the next man up, is someone like Jawan Williams, who has shown no affinity for actually hitting somebody, or a young guy like a Jalen Goss or Chaz Neal, who, while they've shown flashes in practice, I think it's a little far-fetched to say they're ready for prime time right now, and you're rolling out a gate with a team like Boise State, who is certainly capable. So you're rolling out there with a guy who's inexperienced in the college game and probably is being thrown in the fire a little bit prematurely because you're now down a body of somebody who's a capable person who has college experience who has been good to a certain extent when available to play. And Chris, you mentioned, you mentioned one thing and and it's another part of the narrative, you know, against Landon Dickerson, I guess. And that's, if he doesn't want to be here, well then fine. Like we don't want him here. That's been a pretty prevailing like uh, argument against him. But but well, you can only get away with that for so long. You you keep running talent off. You're not right. That that's That's, my point. That's what I was going to ask you. Like, like I agree, like in the long term, if someone doesn't want to be with you, then okay, then that's probably telling, but isn't it the job of the program of the staff of teammates of to, to keep the good players happy and and have them create a, create a, right. Yeah, of course. I mean, from the overall view, you want, you want the most talent on the roster as possible because even what Chris said just now, um, and who he's projecting to possibly step in when Landon's gone. Think about if one or two of those guys get injured. Think about if two or three of those guys get injured, where we're at. Um, and you also, Brendan, you're getting caught up in the hypocrisy of fans. Because while Landon Dickerson soft, Ryan Roberts, who left NIU and bailed on that team to come to a better <laughs> program, is not soft. When you look at Drew Richmond, FSU fans were clamoring to land a Drew Richmond or an R.J. Proctor. Both guys that bailed on their teams who were in you know rough situations, R.J. Proctor definitely could help Virginia. Drew Richmond started 12 games last year for Tennessee. He's bailing on them. They would be welcomed with open arms at Florida State by fans and coaches. So you can't get caught up in that hypocrisy of, you know, oh, he's, you know, of course, FSU fans are going to take shots at him out the door. Um, they took That's shots at him the- out the door when he first entered the portal and then, you know, loved him when he was coming back a few days later. So that just means he's valuable. Right, like that's of course he's if, valuable. If, if, if he the, wasn't, look, when if he Calvin wasn't, no one would care, right? When Calvin Bruton exactly. quit the team mid-stroke, nobody cared. No one cared. Everyone wished him cared. good luck. Everyone wished him good luck because it's not something that actually hurts. Yeah. This hurts. Landon, uh, Landon leaves, and everybody's upset. Why are they upset? Because they, deep down, they know that they need this guy on the team. Let me put it this way: like, you can say, okay, he's only going to have. You know, we can only count on him for two or three games and rather have you know continuity on the offensive line. And, and I get that logic. Two or three games of Landon Dickerson starting is two or three less games that you may have to lean on 
some guys who weren't very, very good at all at tackle last year. Jawan Williams, Abdul Bello. I mean, those were some of the lowest graded per pro football focus, some of the lowest graded offensive tackles in the entire country last year. So yeah, like having, having, you know, a hundred less snaps with those guys in the starting lineup, like actually could be meaningful if you're talking about winning a couple close games, if you're expecting FSU to be more competitive, like, all right, we, we've established, we all agree that losing Landon Dickerson hurts, right? Yes. Yes. And, and, Running him off or him departing would not be a big deal if they had a decent replacement, but they failed to do that effectively in the last recruiting cycle, so they're short-handed and relying on young guys. And I think both can be true. You can be happy that he's gone because you don't think he wants to be part of the program and talk to the culture and you're trying to improve going forward. So that could certainly be true, but it doesn't make the team any better. Right. I think long term, it's it's fine. You can justify, OK, culture. We get guys who we want to be here. You know, we heard the rumors of, of Dante Lucas getting in into it with Landon Dickerson, at least kind of chewing him out verbally when he entered the portal the first time. I don't know how true that is. We, we heard it from enough places, but I wasn't there, obviously, and I didn't talk to anyone who who was directly there. Uh, but, you know, I think that's in line of like what they want. They want guys who want to be here and understand that. But, yeah, this season losing him doesn't make you any better. I, I think it makes you worse. So with that in mind, and I know we've all talked about this at some point or another on the podcast before, Chris, you may have been talking about this way back, even in the, you know, towards the end of the regular season, when we were kind of projecting what the team would look like this upcoming year is the offensive line. As you see it, like, is it realistically better today than it was when Willie Taggart inherited it? And I legitimately don't know if you can definitively say yes or no. I think they have a really good offensive line coach, but guys, I, I don't know if this is a more talented group. I, they, they lost most of their experience and it wasn't good experience for the most part. I mean, Alec Eberle and Derek Kelly were underperformers and not high end athletes, but uh, now you lose Landon Dickerson too. So you have a lot of young guys who you haven't recruited very well. Like I, I guess I answered my question. No, I don't think, I don't think they're much better right now than they were a, a year and a half ago. To me, yes or no is simplistic in responding to that, but it's a matter of do I think they're better for the upcoming season? Like when we roll out against Boise State, do I think they're in a better place than they were when they rolled out against Virginia Tech? No, I don't think they are. I think long-term they probably are. I, I agree. They're starting to trend in the right direction. They've made some improvements. They've recruited some guys that will certainly help them in the future. But as far as like band-aiding and fixing it and getting it to a capable level for the 2019 season, no, I don't think they're there. Right, I like. I, I should it, say it, that it, I like. It's gonna, it's gonna be a massive weakness. This team's biggest weakness is going to be their offensive line, and it's going to be by a lot. They were miserably terrible last season, and I think the the easiest way to view it is if they get slightly better, they're still pretty damn bad. Like it's not going to go from being miserably terrible to really good and serviceable. I don't think that kind of gap is going to be jumped by this year's crew. Right. And you're building for the future. I think the future's brighter because uh, I like guys like Darius Washington and, and Dante Lucas coming in. Uh, but yeah, I mean, expecting them to be big time contributors this season is difficult. I agree with you, Chris. I think the jump from from worst in power five to just being bad to below average is what you're aiming for right now. And you can hopefully scheme around it. Josh, do you think this group is uh, going in the right direction or at least for this season? moving in a good place. Well, I'll defer to you guys um, as far as getting to see the guys up close and personal. Um, so I would take Chris and Brendan's answers um, a little bit more heavily than I would mine, but 
just from a from a roster management perspective, no, because what I've been saying all offseason is the staff did very little to address the O-line issues in 2019. Um, Ryan Roberts coming in to compete for a starting job is literally the only piece that we're going to see at least early in the season. I know Dante Lucas is going to is going to see the field as a freshman. Um, but I don't think he's a guy that we're going to depend on against Boise State in some some of these games early on. Um, and if he is, that's probably a, a bigger issue than than we all understand. So overall in 2019, no, because the guys that they landed in the last two recruiting classes, I still don't think that we see them make a major impact on the field. But like you said, I do like those. I do like some of the pieces that they have and that they're developing. But for 2019, um, I don't feel great about the improvements that they made from the end of the season to the beginning of 2019. I, I agree. And I think right now what you're looking at, if you're trying to find optimism is that they're going to be able to scheme around it better. Right. I and mean, I think that's, that's what you're holding on to, which isn't necessarily an ideal place. I, I'd like to kind of get into some numbers and, and, and see how quick of a, of a progression teams that have been under Clements or browse have had just in terms of the offensive line. I know the offense has gotten better when those guys arrive at new places, obviously at, at lower classifications, but, uh, I think that's what you're leaning on right now, right? Is 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 Clements, you know, being a technician and getting those guys better, being an upgrade on the offensive line, you know, from a coaching perspective, and then Kendall Bryles uh, finding ways to get rid of the ball quicker. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I think all of us on this call right now are probably thinking that the only way that they're going to be better is through more efficient play calling, uh, better organization on offense, and an up tempo. Uh, speed when they're actually on the field. I think those three things are probably the only way this unit is improved from last year. And, and having a quarterback who isn't a masochist too and likes to get hit and holds onto the ball too long, that that'll probably help a little coach, bit too. You coach around it, and you hope when you need them to give you the punch that you need for a short yardage or whatever you're going for that they can provide it once in a blue bit. You know, you need them to be good at throwing the mm-hmm. hook when they have to throw the hook, but they're going to be a line that jabs a lot. Yeah, I agree. All right. Moving on. Chris, are you happy? Baseball? I'm always, I'm always happy. Man. No, not accurate. Not accurate. <laughs> <laughs> are you happy that baseball, one, continues, and two, it's in Athens, which is a pretty cool trip? Uh, it wouldn't have been very good for Martin's last year to end as his worst year. And, I mean, it, it is. At this it point, still is. His worst <laughs> year from a win total because they're still chasing 40, which they've had every year under him. But yeah, they're in the tournament. To the best of my knowledge, it's the first time ever under Martin. They're the number three seed in a regional. They've only gone on the road seven times total. I think this is the seventh or the eighth time total that they've gone on the road for a regional. Over a 40-year stretch, that's a pretty insane number when you think the fact that they've been in the tournament every single one of those 40 years. Uh, it's a tall task. Athens Regional is really good. Georgia's the one seed. They went, they went 44-15 and 15 this year. Very good in the SEC Excellent starting pitching. They kind of keep bats at bay. Number two seed is a very potent FAU team that went 40-19. and 19. FSU will open up with them at noon on Friday, May 31st. Josh, are you timing him? Athens, Georgia. He's rolling. This fourth, is good info. The fourth seed is Mercer, who went 35-27 out of the Southern Conference. Mercer is a team that's obviously very familiar to FSU. They've played several times in recent years. Georgia and them have had some home and away series in recent years. I don't think they've played each of the last two years. The most shocking stat to me yesterday, initially when hearing the field for FSU, they haven't played FAU in forever. It's 
said, I think it's like 98 or something. That blew me away, just the fact that they're two in-state teams and we haven't seen each other at all, whether in a regional or in a regular season. FSU will go with Drew Parrish against FAU on Friday at noon. Van Eyck will pitch on Saturday, whether it's the winner or the loser bracket game. Doesn't matter. He's the expected starter. Yeah, it's a tall task. Georgia's a really good team, number four overall national seed. This regional matches up with the Baton Rouge regional, which is led by number 13 seed LSU. So very good chance that we see an all-SEC super regional coming out of the two regionals. So my question to Chris is two things. One, how many games does FSU play? How many more games does FSU play this season? And what, what will be the timeline for Mike Martin in the replacement? after the season ends? Well, they're guaranteed two. If they go 0-2 and Q, the season's over. They end with 36 wins. They could play up to five in the regional if they play out a loser bracket and win it or play at least a seventh if necessary game. No, what's your prediction on how many? Oh, what's my prediction? Yeah. Uh, I I think they play at least three in a regional. Um, I I think the FAU game's a little bit of a coin flip. I don't think if they win that, they beat Georgia. If they lose that, I think they beat Mercer, and then they probably lose their next one out. So I would say three is probably the number I've kind of settled on. Okay, their, so they their play just sucks after two starters. I mean, they yeah. they really fall off the cliff as far as expecting a quality start. They sometimes get it; it's not entirely unexpected, but it's just so inconsistent that it's not something you bank on going into the experience. So if they play three more games, the season comes to an end. When can yes. fans expect Mike Martin to step down, and when can fans expect an announcement to be made as far as his replacement? Well, when he leaves the field last time, he's done. There's no pomp and circumstance to it. He, okay. He's officially retiring. There's no going back. There's no, you know, he's not making a phone call to David Coburn asking to keep his job one more year. That's not happening. As far as replacement being named, I don't think they hesitate a long time. That job's been on the market as far as, like, open with FSU for a couple months for them to get applications that guys, you know, Jeff Johnson's the name we've heard from Chipola. Obvious Mike Martin Jr. is probably the leading candidate and certainly the person I expect them to hire. I, I don't think it's more than, you know, say they're done Sunday, June 2nd. I mm-hmm. think it's probably safe to bet that that job is filled within three weeks by the end of June. Cause you also have camps coming up in the summer. Right. It's not something you can hesitate on. And, well, in the interim, obviously, meet and the staff that remains can still recruit, but you want a full-body staff, plus you want to allow your new coach to allow make a really good hire. My personal scenario, because I expect it to be me, I'm not exactly rooting for it to be me, but I expect it to be me. Mm-hmm. You, you hire me, you hire a hitting coach, and James Ramsey, who's had a very good year working at Georgia Tech under Danny Hall. They've ranked this year. Ramsey's super familiar with this program from playing here. Ramsey's also an outstanding human being, great dude, very good coach, a young guy. I think he checks a ton of boxes. There you go, guys. I got the cliche in there. And then you take the money you've saved on hiring a head coach that costs a ton of money and a hitting coach who probably can get a little bit at a family discount. And you go hire the best pitching coach from a recruiting and development standpoint, humanly possible, because this program desperately needs to upgrade their pitching. I feel like we should start the podcast with Chris talking about basketball or baseball. It really or, gets them fired up. It does. It gets the juices flowing. Yeah. Just, I, I don't know what you guys are talking about. I've been in a good place since the moment I picked up the phone this morning. <laughs> Chippy and, and just excited to be here. Yeah. 
I mean, I just <laughs> talking about Landon Dickerson doesn't you know, exactly invoke a great emotional response. I'm sorry. <laughs> you don't have to apologize. Don't apologize yes. for being you, buddy. All right. Let's take a quick break here from our sponsors. It's cool we have sponsors now. We have a beer sponsor. I'm really excited about that. Um, not that I drink too much beer. And when we come back on the other side, we're going to do exclusively recruiting talk. There's not huge news, but a ton of nuggets. Chris Nee was on the bench. So, uh, so listen to on the bench, uh, after the break. All right, we're back. Chris, how did it feel to be back home on the bench? It was really hot out there. I actually went inside. I won't lie. I, I was, I was, Oh, you weren't on the bench. Week. Yeah, I, I sat on the bench for about four minutes and realized, holy hell, I'm fat and sweating a ton. So I went inside and enjoyed the air conditioning. <laughs> Everyone else probably yeah. appreciated that decision too. Then, all right. So yeah, it, was a hot, it was a hot one. It <laughs> Tallahassee is just burning right now, and it's been that way for like two weeks, and it's not letting up anytime soon. But people don't care about the weather; they care about who you talk to when you're all hot and sweaty, and and probably not smelling great. Uh, which probably isn't a plus for the recruits, right? Like does F- FSU probably doesn't love you being sweaty talking to the players coming by. I I feel like you're delving into a subject that I just don't desire to talk about. All right, fine. Don't talk about it. Talk about the recruits then. Who was there? Uh, Kevon Lee, who's a very talented 2020 running back, was there. It was his first visit. They actually offered on the visit, which was big. He's a guy that we talked to at the Orlando opening regional. FSU was not really in the mix. I feel like that's very much changed here in recent weeks. Coach Woody's done a lot of work there. It's his recruiting area. He helped get him in. Coach Pim, Coach Browse assisted on the visit. Kevon enjoyed himself. He came up with his cousin, who's a very talented 2022 linebacker from Clearwater Central Catholic, Melvin Jordan, MJ, as they call him. Melvin's a talented kid, six foot, 200 plus. Definitely has body developed into that position fully. FSU offered him during the visit. He's a he's a guy that you know you, you getting in early on him is a good thing. He's got a baker's dozen offers at this point. He's going to be a national recruit. He's certainly going to be a strong name in the state of Florida. Um, and then there was also a 2021 offensive tackle that came in. He met with Coach Clements. That was Ocala, Florida. Trinity Catholic, not yet truly well-ranked offensive tackle, Caleb Johnson, the 2021 class. For him, the visit was more of a get-to-know the staff, spend time with Coach Clements. He said they talked about football, history, guns, a little bit of everything. Uh, Caleb's kind of a country boy, so I'm sure him and Clement get along well. I get the feeling Clement's personality kind of is in line with the six foot seven, two hundred ninety-five pound junior, upcoming junior in high school. And then the fourth name was the most interesting one to me, Lou Dorsey. I've known Lou for heck four or five years at least. He was running mates with DJ Matthews in high school. They both hoop, they both played football. They were at first post together. Lou finished his high school career at Reball, went to Illinois was Big Ten All-Freshman on some of the All-Freshman teams at Illinois at the tight end. He got into trouble, suspended the first three games of last season, never really got back in favor with Lovey and that staff there in Illinois. He left. He's at Juco now at Iowa Western Community College in Iowa, and he's a Jacksonville boy, like I said earlier. He Is I, I, Iowa Westerns in Iowa, Chris? <sighs> <laughs> no, I will come through this phone and I will mess you up. Oh, uh... <laughs> please but, don't! Uh, I can't defend myself. Dorsey. I'm very weak and timid and, and scrawny. 
they clearly want a tight end in this class. Sage Ennis is probably their top high school target at this point. Lou Dorsey is a Juco target. He would have two years to play when he got here, which would be in December. He intends to graduate in December. He's a big, physically well-developed pass catcher who can run, and he definitely looks like a dude that's been in the college program for two years. He, The way he's put together today compared to when I first met him, like at a junior day going into his sophomore, junior year, I mean, it's night and day. He used to be kind of a long, like he's skinny dude, and now he's still got that long build, but he's really filled out, and he still moves really well. His freshman highlights are quite impressive from Illinois. Um, you know, people are going to ask, do they want the Juco? Do they want the high school kid? Do they want both? I don't think they want both. I don't think they're exactly crushing on the idea of taking two tight ends in this class. It's a position they don't use a ton, and they have a couple capable, capable guys like Cam McDaniel. Um, I'm sorry, Cam McDonald. McDonald. Um, so I don't think they're in a rush to take two. I think they like both of their options. Uh, Lou Dorsey really sounded like a guy that wanted to go to FSU coming out at visit. I know Sage Ennis is very, very high on FSU, local kid, child of a dream. He's supposed to come in for a visit Wednesday. It may be a race to the finish for those two, or maybe they end up ultimately deciding to take both. But, yeah, they're both plenty talented. Lou is a little bit more experienced, obviously, having college experience. That also means a shorter window that you get them for if you do win them. So those were the four guys that came in. All four of them came in on Wednesday. To the best of my knowledge, the staff is basically off till today. From that, or I'm sorry, they came in on Friday, and the staff is basically off until today from that point forward. Dorsey sounded like someone, based on your, your interview with him, Chris, he sounded like someone who wanted to, to commit to Florida State is, is how that sounded. I'm not sure if that came across the same way in, yeah, in person. I, you know how I do those interviews. I don't I don't try to lead you into telling me you want to go somewhere or something. I asked him, he had previously said in an interview that Sunshine State didn't really appeal to him, like returning there didn't appeal to him. He said that certainly was no longer the case. Uh, he multiple times kind of repeated that. He had his mind made up. He knew where he wanted to go, that the visit was really good. You know, he knows DJ, he knows James Blackman, which I'm sure is because him and DJ are so tight. Uh, he knows... Uh, Cyrus Fagan, from when they were high school recruits, Cyrus actually was dropping by the facility as Lou was leaving, and they talked for a moment before I interviewed Lou. Um, yeah, he, he came off to me as somebody who, if he was legitimately saying he had his mind made up, his mind made up on FSU. Mm-hmm. And there's nobody else involved in that recruitment right now that he talks about in any manner or fashion that's similar to FSU. He's got like Houston, Memphis, UTEP, uh, a handful of others, mostly of that sort of nature, involved early on. you got to remember, he just left Illinois in October. He's only been at Iowa Western since January, I believe. So his JUCO... Located, in, located in Iowa. Infancy. Yeah, kiss my ass to them. <laughs> um, so Lou's still early in his recruitment, but at this stage, it certainly seems like FSU is a place that, place that he intends to call home. You should have seen how quickly I went and threw in my crystal ball when I read your when I read your update. I want to be the first one in there. That means he probably won't commit. All right, so let's move on to another Iowa Western product, another JUCO guy from the state of Iowa. Josh, you wrote about him. It's defensive tackle, and I'm going to butcher the name. Perian Winfrey, Perian Winfrey, P Win, P Win. Let's talk about him. He's a he's a big time defensive tackle, uh, JUCO target for FSU, and and sounds like FSU's. In a good place for him, huh? 
Yeah, they made his top five, top six, whatever he put out the other day, this week. Do you know how to say his name correctly or better than I? Uh, Winfrey. And he, <laughs> you know, the the issue there is Florida State's a little bit late to offer. They offered, I think, uh, May 15th, uh, two Wednesdays ago. Not quite two Wednesdays. Yeah, two Wednesdays ago. Um, and they feel like they have a good shot because they have the staff has a relationship with the staff at Iowa Western. Um, there was some help there with getting Zaquandre White. I don't know how much weight I would put into that relationship because ultimately Winfrey's going to make his own decision. And there are some powerhouse schools involved, including Alabama. And I do know that Alabama has legitimately offered and is legitimately recruiting him. I checked with Tim Watts at our Bama online site and he says for now. Um, So that could change. His status could change if they get a couple commitments or whatnot. Um, FSU a little late to the ball game, but they feel like they can get him in on a summer official visit. To my, to my knowledge, nothing is set up just yet. I know that was one of the primary reasons they went there last week was to kind of lay the groundwork and let him know that you know they definitely want to get him in, um, get him in on on that official visit sometime in June is what I was told. But as of now, like I said, that's not scheduled. So he would be. Um, one of those instant impact players on the, on the defensive line. And we've, we've talked ad nauseum about how Florida state needs to kind of restock the, the trenches up front. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would be obviously be a, a good transition piece. Exactly. That'd be a, that'd be a path to getting someone who can help you. Uh, Especially if we saw Durden and Wilson go pro this year. Wilson, definitely. I think Durden would probably be another year or so if he keeps on the trajectory. But yeah, I, I'm assuming this will be Marvin Wilson's last year at Florida State more than likely because uh, he was really good last year and should be even better this year. Uh, who posted the Thomas Trader article for Zach? Uh, Zach Blostein, our intern extraordinaire, caught up with Officer from Venice. Did you? All right, I'll let you talk about it then since you, you, you <laughs> well, probably I read it. Well, I put it the first crystal ball for Schrader, so that's maybe why I should talk about it. But yeah, Zach, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've been here for I've been hearing Sorry, for a that, couple that weeks now that, that Schrader's <laughs> about to pop, um, that he's been given the go-ahead. Well, that was now like two or three weeks ago. I was told he was given the go-ahead to uh, to commit. Um, Zach got up with Schrader. It sounds like we're going to get a June decision out of him. Um, I think it's going to be Florida State. I can't see I can't see anybody coming in between FSU and, and, and Schrader at this point. Um, he's been on campus twice with his family came with his brother the last time as well. I think they're all all ready to commit. It's just a matter of uh, a couple weeks now. I wouldn't be surprised also if we saw him at one of the two camps in Jan- in June. Chris, are you are you texting recruits while we're recording the podcast? I may have been a moment ago, yes. DMing, sliding them DMs, yes. getting that scoop. Yes. All right. All work, right. Work never stopped her snow. I know you like to take weekends off, but some of us it's 24/7. It's Tuesday. It's not even the weekend. <laughs> yeah, I'm not taking this today off. All right. I do take the weekends off, though, because weekends. So specifically, I, I have the story here. Um, Schrader would like to make a decision sometime um, between now and the beginning of the dead period, which is June 24th. So uh, I think at some point he's going to make it up to Florida State um, in June for one of the camps. And I wouldn't be surprised if he leaves campus as a commitment really only louisville and duke um are involved so i think fsu i think fsu handles those two teams and lands thomas schrader sometime this summer we got to work on your pronunciation of, of louisville josh louisville gonna make it more guttural in florida louisville 
I'm from Florida. <laughs> you said Florida with the guttural L. Um, say it how I want to say it. All right. Richie Leonard took an official to Georgia Tech. Uh, let's see. And there was a Kentucky crystal ball for him, too. That's a three-star offensive lineman from Coco that, that FSU was pretty aggressive with. And, and we all felt pretty good on when he decommitted from Kentucky. Uh, that recruitment seems to be kind of kind of strange. Or am I, um, I might be a little bit too dramatic there. Just I, I thought Florida State was in a good spot for him. And I don't know what direction it's trending right now. I don't think I still it's think it's all they, FSU. All right. Go ahead, Chris. The Kentucky crystal ball was kind of left fieldish to me. I'm not sure what brought that on. Uh, Georgia Tech official has been in the plan. Georgia Tech brought in a large group this past weekend. Tate Johnson was another FSU target that was among that group. There were several others that were on campus with them. Georgia Tech's trying to create some momentum, generate something. You know, every school kind of goes through things where they try to generate momentum. I think we saw that with FSU early in the spring eval period when they had that week of commitment. That was a momentum push by FSU. I think you're seeing Georgia Tech try to make that right now with bringing all these guys in that they're probably going to push for commitments between now and that June 24th deadline for the test period. So I think it's certainly that. With Richie, I I wouldn't read too much into it. Richie really likes FSU a lot as long as he still makes it back up here between now and the decision date, which is, what, July 5th, if I remember correctly. I, I don't think there's room for concern or reason for concern. All right, so last topic with recruiting, and we'll we'll wrap this up. I know we said we wanted to keep this short, and we're going on about 35 minutes, so part for the course there. Um, spring eval period is done. You guys did the spring tour. I thought it was really successful. Uh, a lot of good intel, and it was a successful spring for Florida State, right? I mean, they, they end up getting a handful of commitments in just a few months, and their recruiting class went up to number five at one point. It's number eight right now, but you're still trending in a good direction where you're, you're – uh, you have a lot of you have a good baseline right now entering the summer months uh, and give yourself some wiggle room to to be aggressive with a few guys. Uh, I guess what are your big takeaways from the spring, Josh? I'll start with you. But I guess what did you think of the spring eval period for FSU and, and how do you think they kind of sit right now entering entering the summer stretch, which is going to be camp season soon? Um, I think that they started the spring eval period with a real hot stretch that they they desperately needed um, picking up what was it, four or five commitments within a three-week period. Um, Two of the other things that really stood out to me was um, the plethora of offers that we saw at offensive line. I like that strategy. I think that, um, you know, it's just just realistic. They're not going to hit on just their top targets. So why not spread the board out, you know, make sure that you've offered enough guys that you're not going to be scrambling across the country like you were last year. So, yeah, we're talking about three-star Thomas Schrader and three-star uh, Leonard and three-star – but at the end of the day, you, they're building a relationship with them. They know where they come from. They're not going to be just fishing in January for for random, uncommitted, big bodies. I mean, that's what we, we saw last year. So I think they're going to avoid that. Um, the other thing and something I wrote in my spring objectives was – the fact that we're going to see, you know, hey, who's the second quarterback? Will we see, you know, we're going to see a second quarterback emerge during the spring eval period. That is not the case. Um, Malik Hornsby's come off the board. He committed to UNC about two weeks ago. And at this point, I cannot say that FSU is, is active or targeting a second quarterback right now. Of course, there's guys on the board. There's guys on the radar. They know who who's available and who's out there. But we're not seeing a concerted effort to land a number two right now. 
Yeah, and even when before Hornsby's commitment, I asked somebody with knowledge of how they're feeling about recruiting, and they said that at that point they weren't even really trying to land a second. That obviously Kendall Brown liked Hornsby. There was involvement, but they weren't pushing for a commitment. They weren't pushing for a kid. That they really like Jeff Sims a lot, and at this point they're pretty content with him being the one that's currently in the class. And whether or not they take a second is kind of a to-be-determined point. I definitely think they're going to take a second. Um, I just don't know where it's going to come from. Yeah, I think the second kind of depends on how everything works out with the transfers in. You know, does Travis get the the um, transfer waiver? Right. Does Rector kind of fit into the mold? And does it last? You know, does it sustain? We're at the depth chart when they wrap up in December. Obviously, Hornberg will come off the books. He's a veteran. You know, he's a one-year buy kind of guy. But after him, where is that chart at the end of December? And does everybody stay content and stay in the fold? You add Sims into that, and you, go, you kind of look at it from that point, and you look at next year's class compared to this year's class. Do you take one more in this year, or do you go for two next year? I think that's kind of the decision that will have to be made with quarterback recruiting going forward. Right, but we also heard, you know, in 2018 that if we didn't take one in 18, we're taking two in 19. Ended up with zero right. in in nineteen, so I so that's why that's the reason why I just say keep taking them, keep taking them, just keep taking quarterbacks. You can't go wrong um, when you're trying to turn a program around. You don't know truly what you have in Jeff Sims, um, and competition's good. We saw the we saw the last coach promote competition at the QB position, and we learned two things: that the more QBs you take, the better chance you have at hitting, and also a lot of these QBs are not going to pan out, which to me is a better reason to take more QBs, not less QBs. No, I'm with you. I'm, I'm in agreement on it's better to have more than need more. All yeah. right. And Chris, what were your, I have quarterback takes, but we don't need to, to go down there right now. Chris, what were your, I guess, primary takeaways from, from spring eval period? I thought it was good that they created that positive momentum out of gate, that they locked up some guys that they were in a good spot with, who they do like, who they feel will fit into their class. I think they've done a good job of kind of identifying the board and figuring out who they're in it for and who is kind of far-fetched. They extended about 65 total offers, a lot of offensive line offers, which I'm all for. Cats that net as wide as humanly possible if you like the ability of the player offering. They also got a lot of 2021 and 2022 work done with those offers. I think going forward, the big thing for them is start uh, kind of taking names off the board of guys that you can get committed, get a running back, get some offensive linemen in the fold. We saw them get a receiver in the spring eval period. I think it's important for them to start filling in some of the blanks so when they roll into the season, they only have a select few spots remaining that they're going to pursue, and they're not kind of clamoring, especially if things go sideways and the class starts getting shaky, which I think currently the way the class is constructed I don't think it's going to get real shaky, even if things get kind of difficult around these parts. I think they've done a good job of identifying guys that want to be a part of this program and buying to the long-term plans compared to the short-term. I agree, Chris. I, I think they've there's been a certain common theme with the guys. They've they've gotten committed, uh, and that's that they want to be at Florida State. And I think that buys you some leeway if things don't go uh, as planned early on in the season. And they haven't had that in a couple of years when, when you've looked at recruiting classes, Josh, real yeah, quick. We, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Chris. I was just going to say something that we've all talked about a little bit. I think we've even mentioned on previous spots. 
they, I think they have an understanding. I think it's becoming clear to the fan base they're going to struggle to land a weak guy. You know, EJ Williams backing off them with a top seven that didn't include them. Jalen Carter committing to Georgia. We've seen plenty of movement with that upper tier, upper crust of guys that FSC is just not truly a player for them. They're not into consideration right now. They can't overcome the Georgia's, Alabama's, Clemson's, Oklahoma's, uh, even LSU right now. That, those kind of teams in the world to really be in pursuit of some of those upper tier talent. So they got to understand kind of find in their weight class right now. And if they find a guy or two who's elite that they can land, still land them. And I would put Knight in that kind of category as a guy they can actually land who I feel is an elite player. But there, there's a select few for them. It's not like they can just spread offers and they're going to be in it for a bunch of them. That's just not the case this year. Yeah, and until you start winning games on the field consistently, uh, it's going to be tough to to get those type of guys. So just wait until August, right? Um, all right, wrapping up here. Trying to think. Got nothing else on our agenda. Who wants to beg for uh, for five-star review? Chris? No, nope, not me. Hey, guys. This is the <laughs> On the Bench podcast with Brendan Sinone, Chris Nee, and Josh Newberg. We'd appreciate it if you liked us on Facebook, uh, rated us five stars (laughs) on iTunes, and subscribe. Thank you very much. See you next week.